Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen and ladies, welcome to episode 19 of the Golf Strong Project. Here's our introduction. We have a special, special guest today who we will have introduced himself shortly because I certainly can't introduce him. That would be, it would do him no service. <laughs> but the other guy, Tim Ravoto, I'll introduce because he's just Whatever. We're here every week. <laughs> milk, toast. milk toast. Milk <laughs> toast. <laughs> but without further ado, we are joined this week by Mr. Drew Morgan. And uh, I'm going to let him tell you what he does because I'll explain it and it'll yeah. be nothing. But we'll go from there. So, Drew, please tell the world who you are, what you do. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, thank you guys for, for having me on. Um, so, Background is in sports psychology. I am a mental performance coach and work with athletes on how to use their mind more effectively. So it's really all about elevating performance through what we know about the research in psychology um, and trying to use that to elevate ourselves to, to be better. Uh, so work a lot with golfers, kind of specialize in golfers. And that in a nutshell is, is what I do. Sweet. What's uh, what's your athletic background, Drew? Uh, so grew up playing a lot of different sports. Um, baseball was my best. I played basketball in high school, baseball, uh, played a little bit. I was on the golf team. Uh, didn't ever like play per se, <laughs> but I was on it. Uh, really just was there for the hot dogs. Um, but, I was gonna uh, say hot girls for a second. <laughs> Me too. I was like uh, around uh, around these parts, you were not finding them on the golf course. Uh, yeah. Who needs to go to a volleyball tournament when you can just join the golf team? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then I went on to uh, play baseball in college. Suffered an injury the last game of my senior year in high school. Uh, it was already committed. Went to a D three school to play baseball. Never ended up actually playing because I was I was injured and I didn't like you know, freshman in college and, you know, got into other things and just yeah. kind of got distracted. And, and then uh, that was kind of the end of my you know, competitive athletic career. And now he competes in underwater firefighting on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, now, you know, I'll still play some uh, occasional pickup basketball and, you know, play uh, some competitive golf, you know, with, with some friends, you know, a few dollars on the line or something, but um yeah, that's about it. It always reminds me, every time people talk about playing for money, I go immediately to the last dance when Jordan's like in the airplane and they're talking about how he's like in the back playing like high dollar cards or whatever. <laughs> and he goes to the front of the plane with, I think like Steve Kerr or somebody. And he's, they're like, dude, we're playing for like 50 cents up here. He's like, it don't matter. I just want your money in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I can't adopt that mentality in any of the current sports I play, specifically golf, because no one's money is coming into my pocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I say money, I'm saying I'm talking like maybe a dollar a hole. So it ends up being like, okay, I owe you like three bucks. That's my style too. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, Ricky has said MJ is the guy to play before like majors. Cause he'll just wager anything. Like he'll, you can just take all his money. You can have like $10,000 shots. You could, he'll just literally bet any shot anytime. So. That's not yeah. what we're doing in my, my neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think most people's neck of the woods. Although, remember at TPC last year, they had some hot mics. Well, we were there uh, the last day of the practice round, and then we went on the last day of the tournament. And I think it was JT or somebody. Like, they were they were making some bets. And I don't know how much it was. <laughs> I'll make up a term. But it, they were on the 17th. And it was like, hey, 10 grand says I, like, put it on, put it on or closest to the pin or something. 
man. And there was somebody, somebody that I was with was talking about that. And then the sheriff's office is there. I used to work with some of those guys and they were saying the same thing. They're like, oh yeah, there's some like high dollar bets going on in some of these practice days. It's like, really? Yeah. I mean, a lot of those guys are playing money games all the time because it's, I mean, talking about some of the mental stuff, like it's hard yeah. to replicate pressure. Uh, and that's what golf is all about, you know, especially at their it's level. True. Like if you're not, if you're not practicing playing with pressure, uh, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up or, or you're doing yourself a disservice. So that's largely why they do it. It's trying to get a little feeling of pressure and like this shot matters. Whereas otherwise they're just going out there and, you know, playing some golf, having fun. Having FU money helps too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah, 50 grand says I get closest to the pin. Yeah, double or nothing. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Different, yeah. League. Different league. So, so Drew, give us, you know, I guess we're going to talk a lot about golf, obviously, but, um, you know, Tim and I both, especially being PTs, you know, we deal a lot with the psychology of humans, you know, how to convince people to work on stuff and how to do the right thing and the right words to use. So, when it comes to golfers, what have you found are kind of the hardest hurdles to overcome with the athletes you're working with? You know, mm-hmm. what are the things or maybe maybe common trends you see in golfers where these are things that are commonly struggled with, um, maybe regardless of age or maybe you see a difference between ages. But I'll kind of leave the floor to you to talk about what are the biggest struggles you see with golfers specifically mentally? Mm-hmm. Um, so a few different things. I think one thing is expectations. Um, so having high expectations going into a round, uh, can be a killer. Um, I think we probably all experienced this at some point, you know, you go out to the range and you're just flushing it, right? Like just Mm -hmm. smoking it. You're like, you turn your buddy like, yo, I'm going low today. And then you shoot like a (laughs) five or something. Right. Um, it's because we have these high expectations. And then with that, we're instantly adding a bit more pressure on ourselves, then it becomes harder to bounce back after mistakes. You know, we're, we're grinding instead of kind of letting it happen. So that's one thing. Um, in the same realm is obviously playing under pressure. I mean, that's, that's the big one when it comes to golf. You know, playing with a lead, uh, you know, when you're going in the last day of the tournament and, you know, you, you've got a chance to win, like, that's, that's some high-level pressure that can really easily get into your head. Um, and... Then I guess one thing I see a lot is, you know, feeling out of it before like the round even really starts. And what I mean by that is like a couple bad holes, a string of bad holes, maybe to, out of the get go. And it's like, ugh, whatever, like I've, uh, and they kind of throw in the towel. Now, sometimes that has really good effects and people stop trying so hard and then they end up playing really well. But, um, a lot of the times it's just a complete lack of focus and motivation and they're just like kind of over it. Um, and so that kind of comes back to this idea of resilience and, you know, how do you bounce back after mistakes and kind of grind through um, some negative events? Those three kind of right off the bat that come to mind. So I, I want to jump into that first one a little bit. So expectations. I, I've got a buddy who always, he's, he's that guy who's like, Hey guys, I'm shooting par today. Like I am doing it today. And then shoot, yeah. you know, shoots 85. And you're like, well, sorry, you didn't do it. Almost. But, yeah, right. Close. But uh on the sixth hole, we lost that hope. Uh 
what what should you go into your round thinking about? Like, should you have any expectations? Should you just kind of go out and take the day as it goes? Yeah. Um, it's all about staying in the present. Uh, so it's okay to like go out there and think you're going to play well. Like that's, that's confidence. That's great. Um, but then not usually when that happens and we have expectations, we're so fixated on score. You know, it's like, oh man, I just bogeyed that. Like I was just flushing it. Like what's going on. Whereas if we're really in the present and just focus on our process and focus on being in the moment, we're not as concerned about the score and it just kind of happens. Um, and so it's all like, you can have high expectations going into a round, but if you can then direct your focus to just saying one shot at a time, staying really present, not worrying too much about score, staying patient, all of those things, uh, you can still play well with high expectations, but that's where some of this, these mental skills that, that I teach um, come into play, like how to actually stay present, how to actually stay focused, you know, what does it mean to actually have a process? Those kinds of things. Piggybacking off that a little bit. So when you're talking about expectations, you don't want to have high expectations. And like the first thing I think about automatically is I think of high level athletes. Um, like there's the story of Nicholas that they talk about where he was like at a Georgia Tech function talking to like his grandson's team or whatever. And some guy and or he says in his speech something about, you know, I've never I've never bogeyed a hole at some course. And some guy in the crowd stands up. and He's like, wait a second. Yes, you have. Like you've and he's like, no, I haven't. And the guy, it's Bob Rotella, mm. one of his psychology books. Yeah. He's talking, yeah. it's how champions yeah. are made <clears throat> or how champions think, excuse me. Yeah. He's talking about that. And he was like, in, in Nicholas's mind, he, he never bogeyed that or he never shot a whatever. Like he never mm. did that. Right. So how do you take people like that? The Tiger Woods of the world, you know, the Michael Jordans the, or anybody who has that mentality of like, I mean, I, I would even say that probably all of us in some way have had that. Like I never went into a game thinking I can't win this game. Like we might be outnumbered, we might be this, we might be that, but having, how do you manage that personality of people that are like, no, I'm going to go win. Like my expectation is I'm going to win. And then saying, well, don't have high expectations. You understand what I'm saying? So what is the yeah, yeah. give and take there? So I, I mean, we want to have that mindset. I love people that have that mindset. Like I'm going out and I'm going to win. There is nothing wrong with wanting to win about, there's nothing wrong with thinking about score. There's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to hit every green in regulation. Um, but again, when we have those expectations, we subtly are putting more pressure on ourselves. And so we, what we need to learn how to do is not get fixated on the score, but get fixated on our process. And so it's a totally okay to have high expectations. It's totally okay to go out there and expect to win. But just like Tiger Woods did, just like Jack Nicholas did, but when it comes down into the moment, like Tiger isn't sitting there, like counting up his strokes, like what I need to do to you know, right. par out. He's so focused on that shot. He's using all that energy, that, that feeling of pressure and nervousness that often causes, you know, the amateur, whatever, to, to start to question themselves. They use that energy to focus on the present moment and what they're doing. And so that's really what, what we want to do. So again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to win, wanting to think about your score, have high expectations, but you've got to be able to, in the moment, shift your focus to what's right here. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Definitely. I think something I've noticed too, is like the more professional golf you watch, like 
you we always talk about high expectations right like a lot of amateur golfers expect they're going to hit every shot well they're going to hit every fit they can hit a lot you know a lot of shots maybe they can't if you watch pros like they shank the ball right like they hit bad shots like you you've seen uh molinari i think at pebble beach like top the drive off a of one and, and it didn't yeah. even leave the rough like in front of the tee box yeah. so you can expectations can work for you like in the reverse too. I think where it's like, ah, I'm expecting every, I might have two or three really bad shots like in a round. All right. Like check the box. It happened. Reset to that process, get over the next shot and execute, execute there. That's all, that's all you can do. Right. Yeah. And that, I think you just hit the nail on the head with, especially with some of the, uh, you know, I'll say youth golfers that I work with um, or even up to like college, they, when you watch golf on TV, you're seeing a the, the very best in the game, right? And then you're generally seeing the top of the leaderboards, so the the best that are playing that weekend. Right. Um, and so you're seeing the best of the best and the best of the best in that particular tournament. So you're seeing like some of the best shots you're going to see. You're not seeing yeah. the rest of the field that are you know probably spraying it a, a good bit. And so then you, you watch that and you're like, that's what I'm supposed to be. That's how good I'm supposed to be. That's how every shot is supposed to be when it's so far from the truth. And when we put those, those expectations on ourselves, that's where it gets detrimental because then we might hit a, what is a good shot for us. And we're like, God, you know, miss the green from a hundred yards out. Like, and you get so frustrated with yourself that then you can't hit the next shot well. Another dude that we had on this podcast was Alex Ellert, the golf physiologist. And so he has a ton of cool data out there about expectations mm. with golf. But one of them was like dispersion mm. rates for like pro golfers. And it was, I want to say it was with driver or something. And I'm, I'm not looking at the data, so don't, don't quote it. But it was something yeah. along the lines of there's like a 60 yard dispersion rate for their yeah. drives. That 60 happens. yards yeah. to think that us mortals are going to keep it within 60 <laughs> if they are keeping it within 60 yards right. to your point and like we aren't it's like oh i can't believe that well yeah. shoot tiger's not doing that right you know you play once a week and you're trashed right <laughs> I don't, right you know it's not going to do it he also yeah. had something about how like golfers play like 11 strokes better than their skill level on any given week where it's just mm. like you know they get a lucky bounce you know they didn't fall into the bunker it fell left you know there's different things that play a role in that that yeah. to me is where expectations play a role is like okay i expect the ball to go in a forward direction hopefully not too far right or too far left and i'd yeah. like to get it in the hole in as many as, as few strokes as possible yeah there you go yeah and, and you, so i sorry go ahead tim no i was just gonna say like look at any of the leaderboards like you said drew like corn ferry tour every weekend they're like high 20s under par and you're seeing even on PGA tour, like out in Hawaii, they were setting some records. So those guys, like you just wonder, yeah, you're just watching unbelievable golf every week and it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. And, um, and so Jackson, to your point, um, I know Scott Fawcett, he has this decade system and I think it's similar to what you just referenced in terms of looking at shot dispersion and you know, he's really heavy into the metrics and, and looking at, um, the data and, you know, he's come up with a system of how, how to kind of plan for that, um, which I think it, it does a really good job of, of helping golfers understand their expectations. Um, and I had a second point to that, but I lost it just now. 
because your expectations um, were too high. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, oh, I know it was. So imagine if you had, <laughs> imagine if you had like fairly realistic expectations for yourself when you go out and play. Imagine how much more fun golf is going to be if you don't get frustrated after every shot that yeah. you know you don't hit, definitely you don't flush. You know, and what what are we doing if it's not to go out there and have some fun? Amen. That's fully it. Fully agree. <laughs> fully, fully agree. And just not comparing yourself. I mean, half the battle is is that we are just we're ego driven people. Like we look at everybody mm-hmm. else around us and we have to equate ourselves to. I mean, I think the hardest part for you know guys like Tim and I, even working in a strength and conditioning setting or a rehab setting with people is, you know, just because your shoulder injury is similar to other people's, it doesn't mean that your rehab process is going to be the same. Like you're an individual, you're your own human, you know, your, your strength. I mean, that's why we do custom things. Like you're not going to mentally coach someone the same as you might coach, you know, Tim and I might be very different. I'm a complete mm-hmm. pansy. I'm scared of hitting my driver. <laughs> and Tim is like big monster of the year and is good yeah. to do it. You know, my point to that is just that, you know, those expectations are going to change between people and it's important to have that nuance per person that mm-hmm. you can figure out, describe, and then create real goals. So we'll leave that into a next question. When you're goal setting with your golfers, right? You're like, Hey, what, what do you think you need? You know, what are some of the ways that you do that? Or how do you go about, you know, doing goal setting in your world? You know, obviously, you know, we do it in ours, but from a mental perspective, you know, how are you goal setting? What are you looking at? How are you teaching them about expectations, et cetera? Well, the first thing you want to assess is, do you need to set goals? Um, So what I mean by that is, you know, usually goal setting is, is there as a motivational tool. Um, and if the golfer is like super invested, super motivated, working out really hard, you know, putting more goals is probably just going to add to the pressure that he's feeling or she is feeling. So that's the first thing is like, do we actually need to set some goals? Um, then secondly, you know, so we talk a lot, I talk a lot about outcome goals and process goals. And so outcome goals being, you know, the things that you can measure wins and losses, greens and regulations, you know, fairways hit, uh, ranking, you know, all that stuff. Um, and that's, that stuff is good for the motivation, right? Like that's, that's, what's going to get you up in the morning doing your workouts. You know, that's, what's going to get you fired up and go play a practice round in the rain or whatever it is. Um, so outcome goals, I think are good for motivation. So then this is right in line with your question is like, how do we transfer that, which might lead to high expectations. Like if you have a goal to shoot 71, it might lead to high expectations. How do we transfer that to staying focused? Well, that's where process goals come into play. And so process goals are goals based on what you can control. And you also alluded to this, Jackson, that golf, there's so much that we can't control. You know, wind, lie, like bad bounce, like, you know, if there's a little pebble in your way in the, the putting surface, you know, if there's so much, and we're talking like, even when you hit the golf ball, like fractions of a degree off, and it's going to be a terrible shot. So we want to remove ourselves from caring about the outcome and be so focused on our process that that's what matters. And so setting process goals looks like, am I, did I, was I fully focused on my pre-shot routine? Um, did I, you know, pick the right club? Was I, you know, thinking about it in the right way? Um, 
did I take a couple good deep breaths before I took the shot? So whatever it is you can control. And then success is not, did I go low? Success is, did I execute on my process goals that day? Because if you execute on your process goals that day, you're likely going to, you're setting yourself up to have a good score. Not saying that you will, because again, there's a lot you can't control, but you're setting yourself up for that. So that's, that's in terms of goal setting, I, I focus more on, okay, this tournament, what do you control? What's going to be your focus? Maybe it's a particular swing thought that's been working for you that you want to make sure you're doing every time. Um, but that's how you know, we kind of differentiate. Perfect. I mean, that's, I like it. That's the way it is. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And those, those process goals, I know my swing coach always calls it the chaos. Like when you're out on the course, you're just in the mm -hmm. chaos, right? You have all the stuff going on. I think those process goals are so key to just helping you manage the chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Wait, what and, you can and can't yeah. control. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, obviously another big part of the mental game in golf is managing negative thoughts. And when you have really solid process goals, it serves as like an anchor point. You can always go back to It's like, okay, yeah. we're just, Chill out. Let me focus on my process goals. Like that's just kind of your, your anchor point. I feel like golf is also, I don't know. You can answer this question. I feel like it's almost behind in this, in the psychology realm. Cause that was stuff that we were learning when I was in high school playing football, hmm. like when I was doing all those things. But then I feel like in the golf realm, like some of this seems like it's novel to people. Like, what do you mean? what's a process goal or what's that? And mm. I, I'm just speak, that's just a personal thought that may not yeah. be true at all, but the way that I see some of those things like that used to be, well, I can remember being in high school and we were just talking about, you know, this is what you're doing. These are your reads. This is that the other thing, but it was very rarely about like, you know, how many touchdown passes can you throw from my coaches to me anyways? Like, you know, how many yards are you going to throw for this game? If you don't throw for this many yards, it's a wash or yeah. what have you, you know, it was always like, okay, we're doing this play. All right. What do I do on this play? Mm -hmm. Right. It's just whatever my job, you know, it's going to be a, you know, three-step drop. It's going to be a five-step drop. I know I've got to read the, you know, safety coming down and see if the corner bails. And if that happens, I do, you know, it just, it was so specific in that moment. And yet in golf, it almost feels like maybe that's thwarted a bit because everything is so, singular like single shot creates single outcome there's not a lot of other factors taking your mind off of it in my mm -hmm. mind like even in basketball like when i'm shooting a shot i'm not like oh i hope this goes in i'm like okay the defender's cupping up on me i've got a you know what i'm saying like i feel like because there's so many other stimuli in different sports golf is so singular that you have to be able to like be okay in your own brain yeah. Well, first off, it sounds like you had some amazing coaches. <laughs> I did. I did. Have good, I, 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 had great I coaches. I definitely didn't know about process goals in high school. Um, no. Nope. But um, yeah, main I mean, baby. What do you think? Did Did you have that experience that Jackson just described? No, definitely not. I'm. I mean, I'm a. I'm a runner by trade. So mine. I was always outcome. Like I'm trying to win this race. I'm trying to run X time. You know, that that's where I go. And yeah. I, I think golf provides you that immediate feedback that kind of can lead to that thinking. Right. Cause you know, yeah. pretty soon after you hit the ball that you hit a bad shot. Whereas in a football game, you could have a couple bad drives, right. You could have, you could play 20 bad minutes and still, you know, pull out, pull out the victory at the end. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's tough. Yeah. Running is, is what events did you do? 
I was distant. So cross country, uh, five k, ten k. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love working with endurance athletes because that is so mental. Like yeah. how you deal with pain and oh, so much stuff there. And I'm they sure you run, guys are serial killers. <laughs> probably. Probably. True. I mean, that's there's no other way. It's like the same people that free solo. Yeah. Oh, that's or, go watch yeah. the Alpinist. Right. I just did. I've heard it's really good, actually. Oh, yeah. If he as, wasn't as good as Freak Wall, oh, better. Oh, yeah, not even, really? not even, not even close. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. This is dude's really like good. a no name, no name dude. But like again, would be a serial killer if he wasn't a climber. <laughs> like, you got to be yeah. like eight thousand feet in the air with like a hand on like, and there's piece nothing below you, like yeah. a piece yeah. of ice, and you're just like, ah, my, yeah. is it beautiful? That stuff here? is wild. Oh, right. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyways, my TED um, talk is over on the album. <laughs> uh, I forgot where we were. You you were mentioning endurance, working with endurance yeah. athletes. Oh yeah, no, it's just fascinating. Like, because that's a whole nother aspect, and you know, I think there's probably some of that in football too. Like, so many people playing with injury, but I think Jackson, what you were alluding to is the difference of you know, like basketball, soccer, uh, football. Like, those are such so fast sports right like you're always kind of doing something sure football like you have some short breaks but you know cross-country running golf you've got a lot of time to sit and think Mm -hmm. right like it's just you and your mind whereas football basketball like you're running like there's like you said there's a lot of stimuli going on um tennis as well is another like you've got a lot of breaks that's why baseball as well like got a lot of breaks a lot of time to think and so those sports are usually at least right now, what are attracting a lot of mental coaches, there aren't actually a ton of mental coaches working in football. I mean, there are, but not like, like the MLB now has, you know, each team has one to three, maybe five mental coaches on their staff um, to work with the whole organization, right? Like triple A, double A, all that. Um, You know, golfers at this point, like if if you're not working with a mental coach, like pro golfers, if you're not working with a mental coach, like you're hugely missing out. Um, and same is going to be true with tennis. Um, I don't know so much about running, but I know like how you can deal with pain and how the conversations you're having in your head is going to directly relate to uh, your times. Did you Absolutely. ever learn anything about um, like how to manage that? Yeah, I, I had a coach. Uh, he was a Portuguese guy who was unbelievable and he ran himself. So he was always, he was a teacher by trade and he was always process oriented. Right. So like for our, for our workouts for the day, he was talking about always, you know, how this is going to pay off in six months or that was always, you know, we're doing this work this week, we're hitting this mileage so that, you know, in October when we have the regionals where we just dominate, we have that confidence. And um, Mm -hmm. it was more that long-term. Yeah. We're, we're building, we're putting water in the bucket every day and then, you know, we're going to, we're going to drink all year. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't have great. That was the only coach that I had was great. Otherwise they were just like, yeah, go run five miles and then come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's probably most coaches. I mean, if we're being, unfortunately, we're being fair. I mean, anybody can be a coach and that's not to, you know, say that, you know, there's the world's just full of terrible coaches and kids should never play sport. I mean, I think it's great to, I actually think it's important for kids to see the difference between good and bad coaches. Yeah. And the benefits that has you and, you know, what you learn from them. Cause I think that probably all sports, the same principles are going to overlay, you know, even, you know, football to 
tennis to running to, you know, it's still going to be, you know, are you disciplined? Are you showing up every day? If you don't show up to practice every day, you don't focus at practice every day, your results are going to speak for themselves. So you have to show up to do those things. And um, I feel like it's, I was lucky enough to have really good coaches that were always pinning that into our heads. Obviously, thankfully, Tim and I are from the greatest sports area of the country and we've had bill belichick whose biggest thing is do your job yeah and it's literally all process like he doesn't care about anything else like it's a process did you show up did you work hard like there'll be games they lose and he's just like guess what our practices sucked this week we weren't focused enough we're on to cincinnati it's amazing (laughs) yeah yeah um and it can be you know, relating this all back to golf, though, it can be really hard to be process focused when you're got a lot of time to think and you're like, I'm, you know, five back from the leaderboard, like, I want to win. It can be really hard to stay focused on your process. Definitely. I'm curious, do you so pro obviously, pro, like pro golfers, a lot of colleges ha- have mental coaches. Do you have any experience or have you heard of like caddies working with mental coaches? Cause I would imagine the caddy is an, is an important role as far as the pro golfer goes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I know that caddies will take like some classes on, on the mental side and, and learn up about it. Um, I don't, I've never worked with a caddy. Um, yeah. Well, actually that's not true. I've, I've worked with, you know, I will have sessions with the, the golfer and their caddy. Okay. Um, which is, which is really fun and interesting. Um, so in that way, I, I cut, they'll, uh, and I'm, I imagine I'm not the only one, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know of any like specifically caddies. I'm sure they do work specifically with a mental coach. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, they don't make a ton. So I imagine they don't have like the liquid budget for, for that, like a, their, their player might have, but mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that'd be beneficial having them both together really work on that pre-shop process and that, you know, that, that yeah. whole side of things. Absolutely. And, you know, just to have the caddy know a little bit more about, you know, what is, what makes my golfer tick, you know, when when does he get hot or when does she get hot and, you know, what can I do to, to help them slow down or, you know, calm down or whatever. Like those conversations are huge because they're their, their coach essentially out on the, the, uh, the course. So, yeah. How do you handle things like, so, I mean, you see this a lot with, with people where I'll use primetime as an example, right? Deion Sanders, where he would talk about how like off the field, nice guy, cordial with everybody. I mean, he had like his stuff, but like on the field, he was primetime. Like he wasn't Deion Sanders anymore. He was primetime, you know, and you hear that from a lot of different athletes or performers where, you know, off of their field or stage of choice, like they're very quiet or shy or affable but the minute they step on it's like the flip you know the switch flips and like they're getting after it so is that something that you just see inherently in people or that you try to teach some people because obviously when you're a competitor like that you know it sometimes can hurt you to be like you know i'm this like big killer now and i gotta like get after it like in between golf shots a lot of times we're like hey talk like look around like mm-hmm. enjoy the sunshine as opposed to being like, I'm going to beat everybody in this bitch today. No one's <laughs> beat me. Like, you know, sometimes yeah. that can make you a little more rigid. So, you know, I guess my question is how are you handling people that are kind of like that switch goes off or what does that yeah. look like when they're like, like, you're no longer my friend. I don't like you. 
you know, I'm here to win this thing. And like, they just, they turn into like this, like alter ego of sorts. Like, what does that look like on the mental side of coaching? Cause I, I mean, Tim and I look at that stuff and I'm like, hell yeah. Like, no, I'm not your friend right now. I'm trying to beat your ass or however you want to look at it. Like I'm a different person. I'm not going to be this gigantic douche, you know, (laughs) all the time. You know, I'm not going to be able to ever be married, have kids and be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you, you said it right there is alter ego and subtly what primetime did, you know, what um, anybody else like that, Black Mamba, like Kobe, although Kobe's a, such an outlier because he's just like, he was this just crazy competitive. Yeah. Um, but it's, they have like over the years learned to, to create this kind of alter ego. And so I love it when the athletes that I work with are hyper competitive and like, let's go, like, I'm ready to bury you. Like that's, that's easier to deal with than uh, coming in there timid. Um, and that's what yeah. I see more often is athletes coming in and like, like, I don't want to like upset you or like, I don't want to do anything to, you know, hurt your feelings or, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be seen as arrogant or overly confident. Um, and because that's their nature in real life is to be, you know, humble and gracious and kind and respectful, which is what we want, right? Like those are all great traits, but when, you step onto the court, you want a little bit of that killer instinct. And so I talk, I, especially with some of my more youth athletes, but that's, I'll talk about it with um, all athletes. Like let's create kind of an alter ego. It's like define what the, the qualities that you want to have when you step onto the court or onto the, the golf course or whatever it is. Um, and what's it going to take? Like, how can you step into that? And then I have them name it and, I might even, especially if it's a kid, I'll have them like draw it out, like what they look like and it has, so that it is kind of like, all right, I'm going to flip the switch. Like it's, I'm turning on soccer mode or I'm turning on basketball mode or I'm activating my alter ego. And like you said, you see it in performers too, like Beyonce, I think is known yeah. to have Sasha Fierce or whatever. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of high performers do that because they have to access a different part of, of them that, is not as natural. Yeah. My, my favorite example is, is Mike Tyson. If you hear him talk now about like his fights 20 years ago, he's yeah. literally talking about a different human. It's crazy. Huh. It's uh, and uh, there's, there are rumors of like him being hypnotized when he was young and like different, maybe questionable practices, but it's, it's amazing to hear him. Ha- he almost has like two or three separate lives where he has like boxing, Mike champion, Mike, you know, now he's more in like a, he was in kind of like a slow, lazy, just rest mm. mic where he would like gained weight and stuff. Now he's kind of mm-hmm. back onto the fierce mic, but yeah. yeah you, Yoked you, right now. Oh yeah. He, yeah, I he would not want to meet him on a, on a back alley. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. he'd probably walk up to you and be like, Hey man. <laughs> I'm sure he's you a very nice, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. You want some wheat? You want some wheat? My restaurant's yeah. over here. I love, I love that guy. Well, but I think that those things that we were talking about, like being able to switch on and off, right? That's not a new thing. Like one of my no. you know, favorite books I just finished up reading was called Gates of Fire, which is about the Spartans. So it's a historical fiction essentially about the Spartans. Well, it talks in that book about something that they did where before they would go into battle, they would have like this bracelet basically. And they would wear one bracelet and they put one bracelet in this basket and the basket would get left behind. 
right? And they were basically just two ends. So the bracelet that they put in was basically they are a father, they are a husband, they are a friend, they are kind, they are gentle, they are humble, etc. So they put that away. And then the end that they keep on their wrist is what they take in the battle. And that is the side that's like, I am my shield. I am my brother's keeper. Like I will stab, I will pillage. I'm going to kill everybody here today. And I'm going to do it tactfully and brutally. And, you know, it's not like if you're holding on to that stuff, you can't be the killer that you have to be, so to speak. I can't be a good warrior if I'm trying to think about being a good husband right now, because Mm -hmm. they're kind of they're, you know, although one is benefiting the other, they are separate entities. And I always thought that that was such a cool example of like Spartans and they would come back. And part of it was that if they got mangled, they could actually figure out who it was that got killed because they had their other bracelet in there. So you could see it. Mm. But the cool thing in the, that the book talks about is that they would come back from war and they would basically have like a mini ceremony where they would like call out the names of people so they could come get their bracelets. And there'd be people that wouldn't. And like these Spartan soldiers who just like annihilated people tactfully i mean just vicious would all break down crying they'd be hugging each other like they would just like all of a sudden all of that emotion kicks back into them so to speak as they grab that other end but they were able at like a moment's notice to like separate like they could become the spartans versus you know Mm -hmm. i don't know leonidas who was just a dad and a husband Mm -hmm. and and a king like he he didn't they almost could identify separately with them but it allowed them to be a indefatigable, undefeatable, for the most part, battling force. And mm-hmm. I think that that's over time, we've morphed that now into sports because this is, you know, instead of us killing each other for funsies, for the most part, like sports is like how we yeah. get into the arena. And I think that it's cool to kind of look at where we've come from and adapt it that way. Like that's the way I like to think of it now is like, okay, I can't be great here if I'm thinking about all of what it takes to be over there, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm getting into um, Stephen Pressfield who actually wrote that book talks about me and me incorporated. Like when I'm at home, I'm just me. But when I go to work, I'm me incorporated. I'm a pimp the hell out of myself. Yeah. I'm awesome. I'm great. I can sell my company to anybody, but when I go home, I'm not that guy. Like, do you, do you, do you find that you explain it to people like that? Or is that like way off in left field? No, not at all. This is a, um, so my, my wife is a therapist and she would uh, call this parts work because essentially we all have different parts of ourselves. Um, And this is something in psychology now that, and especially in therapy, people are talking about because there is a part of me that is, that doubts myself, that you know, says you can't do that or don't do that. But then there's another part of me that says, you got it. Like you're the man, like, are you kidding me? Look at what you just did. Uh, so we have all these different parts of ourselves. We got, I got family drew, I got business drew. I got da, 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 da. And when you acknowledge that and when you can recognize that and you can lean into those different parts that you want to lean into and say nah to the parts that you don't want to lean into that really, I think can be really powerful instead of thinking like, I'm, I'm Drew, this is how I am. And it's just these emotions that are taking over. It's like, nah, this is a part of me. And I can choose to say, I'm good. Like that part of me, like you can go away. I'm going to be this part right now. Um, It's you're still you, you're just you within how you want to show up. So yeah, you're, you're spot on. And also what that does is 
some of the trouble that we have, I have with athletes I work with is that their, their identity is sport. Um, and that's, that's what happened to me when I was younger. Like I was an athlete growing up. I, I identify as like the dumb jock, you know, I didn't do great in school. Uh, you know, I was, I was the athlete and then I got hurt and I couldn't play baseball anymore. I was like, I, I was lost. You know, I was drinking a lot. Like I was, I got suspended from my college. Like I, I was a mess um, because I didn't, I didn't know that I had these different parts. It wasn't until later I got into college or, or, you know, I started getting a little bit more serious about academics. I was like, oh, wait, I, like there's a part of me that's actually kind of smart. Um, and so when you realize that you re- it's, it's a much healthier uh, sense of self and, and you're not so dependent on one thing so that if you lose a basketball game, it's not the end of your world. It's like, okay, it's just a basketball game. Absolutely. I love that. I think that's important for like especially our most of our listeners are weekend warriors right and they live and die by how they play on on the weekends they're you know they show up to work maybe pissed off because they you know they played terrible all weekend and you know then that bleeds into their week where it's like no Mm -hmm. that's whatever that happened that's in your golf life now we're back into family life or we're back into work life we've got to go into you know those different parts of ourselves and and make sure we're optimizing where where we're at right now yeah yeah and then just to add on to that, once you realize those different parts of you, you could ask yourself, what, what quality do I need to bring in with that mm. certain part? Like with golf, maybe you want to have a little bit more tenacity on the weekends. You want to have a little bit more competitive fire. Like tap into that. Um, but then when you get home afterwards, like with your wife or your kids, whatever, like you want to have a bit more empathy or generosity or caring, tap into that. So, yeah, it's an interesting way of kind of thinking about ourselves, I think. Yeah, love it. A lot of of reflection involved in that. You know, I think if there's one thing that we lack, it's the ability to reflect. Um, You know, I can't, I don't remember where I heard the quote from, but it's like, there's nothing more beautiful in the world than the reflective mood. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of the things that we don't do a good job of. Like one of the things I'll talk with athletes about um, or the clients I work with now is at the end of a round, take a second and just write down how you thought you played, your thoughts, what you were thinking about, what you were doing. I mean, it's no, it's no different than like me. I journal every morning religiously. But a part of that is so I can put down things that are on my mind, write about them, reflect on them. But that also allows me to be like, hey, last weekend, I didn't have that tenacity that I was looking for. How did that feel? What was I, you know, what was I doing in that moment? What did I do differently? And what can I do about that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me is something that gets missed oftentimes is we're so even if we're, you know, we're focused on the process and we're doing everything right, but it's all in preparation or during, often we forget the reflective side of that is how did I do? How do I feel about how I did? You know, what could I have done differently? And Mm -hmm. then take that into your preparation. And that also allows you to change expectations. Like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe that wasn't exactly where I was. Let me work on these things to see how I can improve that. I find so often that people are super willing to get ready, but they're not always ready to look at the results and say, okay, what happened? Mm -hmm. Because that can be hard, especially if those results aren't good. It's easy to watch, you know, good film and all that stuff. And there's, there's definitely a place for that, but to look at something and go, where did I screw up? What's wrong with this picture? What can I do differently? How can I look at this from 10,000 feet? and make a change do you do you do you have something that you do with your players or with your clients or even with yourself that gets into that a little bit do you think that's important yeah. 
Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, what I teach or what I recommend is one up, one down, one thing I've learned. So one thing you did well, one thing you didn't do so well, and one thing that you learned. Keep it simple. Um, you know, reflection doesn't have to be an, an hour of journaling and writing right, a bunch right. of different notes. It's just like have some sort of process and reflection can look, there's tons of different ways of doing it. You can, you know, call your buddy on the way home from the round and just like debrief it with him and kind of go yeah. through it with that way. Or um, audio record yourself talking into your phone on, on the drive home or at some point like talking through it. Um, so it doesn't have to be one. I think when we think of reflection, we think of like, all right, let's get candles lit and like, our journal <laughs> and like, you know, like all this kind of, it doesn't have to look that way. It can be short and sweet. Um, but I absolutely agree because that's where it, we learn, right? Absolutely. Reflection. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my, the last questions. The last question I had was just talking about keeping up, uh, keeping up that focus through the round. Cause I think where that's something, uh, where us on the physical side of things, and then you on the mental side of things overlap, right? A, a lot of the people we work with get tired physically during their round, right. And then their golf suffers. Mm -hmm. And then we all, we also see people who, you know, mentally just get tired and, you know, by the back nine or the 15th hole, they're, they're mentally tired what are your thoughts on, you know, some ways to maintain that focus or at least maintain those energy levels so you can focus as you get towards mm -hmm. the end of your round? Um, I think the first thing is that you don't need to be focused all the time. Mm -hmm. Over a four and a half, five hour round to think that you should be focused on golf that whole time. Even if you were able to do that, you would be so burnt out. Oh, and yeah. so mentally taxed and probably physically taxed as well. So I say, you know, that's where the pre-shot routine is so critical uh, because in between your shots, like think about whatever, you know, look around, enjoy yourself. Jackson, I love that suggestion. Like just get into your environment. Like just you're playing golf. Like, this is amazing. You're outside. It's nice out. Like just appreciate that. Nothing like some gratitude to, to help replenish some, some of your mental energy um but yeah you don't have to be focused you don't you don't, don't worry about what you're going to hit on that next shot you have no idea you don't know what the lie is you don't know what the wind is it's like there's no reason to think about it there's no reason to think about the last shot just take your mind off it chat with the buddy chat you know and then once you get up to the ball that's that's where you click in and and that's where again the pre-shot routine is so critical is like once you get up to the ball have a process that you go through where you start to click in a good pre-shot routine is going to kind of look like a funnel. You're going to start out with, you got to think about a lot of different things, wind, lie, you know, club selection, club sh or shot shape, et cetera. And you're thinking about all that stuff. Then you're practicing your, your swing, but you want to end up completely just focused on your target. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, or like one swing thought, if that's what helps you. But just have one thing that you're focused on, uh, Otherwise, if you have a lot of stuff going on, as we know, that's never going to work out well. Um, but yeah, I guess that's my biggest piece is, is just, you know, relax, enjoy yourself. Don't, you don't have to be focused the whole time. If you boil it down to each shot, you know, it's, if you're locked in for those moments, it's not a ton of time to be locked in. Right. It's like a, a minute or two for each shot, right? You just kind of zone in, your swing takes a second and then you're, you're on to the next yeah. one. I think my, my, one of my favorite stories is P and Nelson saying, uh, 
that Annika during one of her, I forget what tournament it was, but one of her big wins where she went really low, like between each shot, she, her task was to plan her meals for the next two weeks. So she was just like walking along. All right, Tuesday, I'm going to have, you know, grilled chicken and uh, salad. And then on, you know, Wednesday, I'm going to have burgers. So even, you know, she's, she shot, I forget what it was. It was maybe one of her 59 rounds or or one of her really low rounds. Mm -hmm. And she was totally not thinking about anything between, between the shot, between each shot. And, just to add to that, because this is also where it, it becomes very personalized. Because sure. there are a lot of people that they they don't want to be thinking about other stuff. Like they are such competitors and they're like, like to think about other stuff would be just so, like if you think about like Michael Jordan, you were like, yeah, think, don't think about golf in between the shots. <laughs> he would be like, he would kill you. Like, right, right. <laughs> he would be like, no, I'm going to figuring out every way that I'm going to bury you. It's wrong. Just, He's thinking about how much he can take your money. Yeah. <laughs> so again, it's it's the personalization and figuring out what what they that person needs to do, and that's um, what you guys obviously do a really good job at is like personalizing, and that I believe in as well. Yeah. Well, and you can't. I mean, the other part about this is we're talking about a skill. You shouldn't be thinking about performing the skill in competition. Like Steph Curry is not thinking about what his shot looks like. He's not trying to put his fingers in the hoop. He's not thinking about what his elbow's doing. He's just shooting, right? That to me is the biggest thing that even in golf, if you're thinking about like, okay, you know, I got some wind going on here. I got this, I got that. You're not thinking about per se, these deep mechanics of the swing, which you would be doing with your pro, Yeah. right? It's just perform, be athletic, Yeah. right? Like the minute you start thinking about stuff, you get rigid. All of us have done this. Welcome to the hosel. Your ball is now <laughs> just killed a raccoon. <laughs> right. Like, right. like that to me is, is, is a pretty, pretty large factor. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew, you are Instagram at mental coach Morgan, right? You got it. I even saved it. Boom. There it is. Follow Ooh, Drew nice. mental coach Morgan on, uh, on Instagram. He's got some, he's got some good stuff on there. Obviously he just spread his knowledge with you. So if you are in the market, which probably everybody should be, for a yeah. mental performance coach, check out uh, check out Drew. And he hails from Texas, where everything is bigger and better. So <laughs> that's it. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys. This was uh, this was fun. Love chatting yeah. up with you guys. Yeah, we'll, thanks for we'll, coming we'll, on. Yeah, yeah. We'll do it again, as always, everybody. Uh, Tim and I find us golfstrongusa.com, Jackson and Tim golfstrong on the. On the socials, on the medias, on the on the brain destroyers, <laughs> um, the scroll packages there. Um, any other good topics you guys want us to uh, cover? Drop us drop us some notes. Click that bell for all the notifications and stuff. Be sure to follow Drew. Hit him straight this uh, weekend. A few more birdies, maybe a few more cocktails. A few less cocktails depends on where you're at. Personal choice, right? It's whatever works for you. <laughs> Personalization. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's dangerous. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>